This episode of Radio Vet Nurse was proudly brought to you by Zilkeen. Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast with your host, Kat Robinson. You're listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast for vet nurses where we tell our story. I'm your host, Kat Robinson. Vet nursing can be a tough gig, and yet we absolutely love it. So when it comes to vet nurses, who are we? How do we achieve greatness? How do we cope with the more challenging parts of our job? Radio Vet Nurse is our way to start a dialogue around these questions and to create a space where we can tell our story. Each episode, you'll hear from a different vet nurse about their personal experiences in life and in vet nursing. Ever since I started this podcast, people have been asking me to interview today's guest. I wanted to wait until we could meet and record in person, but since we're all grounded by COVID-19 for who knows how long, I decided that online would do for now. You might have heard of my guest, Jane Bindloss. Jane qualified as a veterinary nurse in the UK and eventually owned and managed a practice with her vet husband in Melbourne. She now runs Sane Veterinary Management with Sally Boyle, helping veterinary practices through leadership, coaching and a push for the positive culture workplace. She's a founding member of the VNCA who's used her Jack Russell Terrier ways as a force for good in our industry. As you will learn from Jane, the unassuming Jack Russell Terrier should be a spirit animal for all of us. And as you call upon this dogged determination and cling to whatever it is that you're fighting for in life, remember Jane's mantra, never give up, never surrender. Hi Jane, welcome to Radio Vet Nurse. Hi Kat, lovely to talk to you this morning. Lovely to speak to you as well. Now I'm going to timestamp this because um, in COVID times it's it's also um, important at the moment, I guess, with what's going on. So we are having a chat in late July 2020 um, and you are down in Melbourne. I think you're in about week two of the second lockdown. Is that right? That's correct. Um, but Kat, uh, this is actually my 130th day in strict lockdown. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, the reason for that is that uh, we decided very early on that we were going to do that. Um, we have young people and people with health conditions in my large family. So we yeah. decided we were going to be tough over it. And so this mm-hmm. is actually my hundred and I think it's 133rd actually today. Wow. Oh gosh, that's amazing. And when I called you about this interview or you called me back, I made the mistake of saying, oh, I'm sorry, it's really noisy. I'm at a cafe. And you were like, oh, a cafe. (laughs) Absolutely. I long to go to a cafe. I'm envious. I have cafe envy. It'll all be worth it. We're all going to get to the other side and we'll be, we, we won't be taking these little things for granted. That's for sure. Absolutely. Now, are you someone who listens to podcasts? Um, well, I've, I'm probably a bit of a latecomer, really. Um, but when I think about it, I do actually listen to conversations on Radio National um, quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, I've tapped into Blunt Dissection. I don't know if you know Dave Nickel, Dr. Dave Nickel. They're quite interesting. Love um, Blunt interviews. Dissection. Yes. Love Dr. Dave. And also The Cone of Shame with uh, Dr. Andy Rourke. It's quite oh, an interesting one as well. I haven't listened to that. I have listened to Uncharted, one of those episodes, I think, that was yes. to Andy Rourke, and I do think he's great. But yes. no, I haven't heard. Uh, what did you say? It was The Cone of... The Cone of Shame. It's the a bit more focused on, um, uh, on pet owners as well as um, vet team members. 
I usually do like anything that uh, Dr. Andy Rourke produces, so I will have to put that one on my list. He's lovely, isn't he? I met him a couple of years ago, actually, at a conference, and he's a really nice person, very, very doing wonderful things for the profession. He is, absolutely. I, I love everything that he's doing as well, particularly speaking up around um, you know, management of mental wellness and stress and that sort of thing. So. Well, yes, um, and look, I'm going to digress already. <laughs> Go for made it. You really cross. Go for it. No, you won't at all. <laughs> um, he uh, started to push forward a concept called Four Eyes. So that's F O U R Eyes. And with regard to um, access to the dangerous drugs safe. Yes. And the idea being that there are always four eyes on the opening of that safe. And, and I love that concept um, mm. that we uh, as individual veterinary team members cannot go to that safe without there being someone with us. Um, and I, I, I tried pretty well, I tried to get it off the ground here, but unfortunately um, most people were averse to it being that it was too difficult to organise in a, in a busy vet practice. Um, but I did feel in my heart if it just, you know, saved one person, um, mm. then it was worth doing, you know, if we could somehow get around that and, and try and implement that as a common practice in vet practices. Um, having visited hundreds of practices um, in Australia, the number of times that the... the uh, the safe is not being managed as well as mm. it should. Mm. Um, I think it would be a really good initiative. But anyway, that's a work in progress. Well, I can put my hand up and say, yes, our safe is probably not always managed as well as it should be as well. But I have heard about his Four Eyes initiative yeah. and I loved it too because the way yeah. they explained it is that for most um, for most um, veterinary professionals or, you know, veterinary nurses or technicians or vets themselves who are contemplating um, suicide, it, it is a, a passing contemplation that yes. um, if only they can see, um, you know, that magnet that he was promoting to go on the front of the safe saying you are not alone, you know, yeah. there there is someone here for you, call yes. this phone number or whatever it be. Or, you know, for that person who's contemplating it to go, oh, it's a bit too hard because I need to get a second person to get these drugs, maybe not now. That can often be enough for the feeling yes. to pass and for them then to say, oh, I'm so glad I got past that feeling and maybe now I'll call this phone number. So I do think it would save lives. Yes. And as I say, if it saved one life, then it would be worthwhile, wouldn't it? Anyway, we'll work on that another time, Kat. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm just gonna. It's a really I'm good project yes. to come back to you that on. And yes. I think so many things that we say, there's not enough time in our practice for this. It frustrates frustrates me to the extent that sometimes it's the squeaky wheel that gets the oil, and it's it's not always well thought out. Um, you know, for us recently, we decided that we were going to make the well actually about a year ago we decided to make lunch breaks be the squeaky wheel and we focused on saying no they're going to start at 12 and everyone is going to sit down and have a 30 minute lunch break we're not going to be these people that say oh well you know we never get lunch in this industry aren't we heroes and then that worked so well that about a month or two ago we decided to make the 10 minute paid breaks be the squeaky wheel because I think not many people get those um, and they're really important as well to to being able to just reset and have 10 minutes to make a cup of tea and so um, we decided to try and find time in other ways and you know minimizing chatting and, and making an agreement with everyone let's just be all about the cases and the patients and the clients when we're on the floor and in return we are going to totally safeguard and protect your 10 minute 
paid breaks. Mm. So I think sometimes we need to, to step back and say there is extra time here. We just need to make it up in other ways and prioritise what will be the squeaky wheel here. Well, absolutely. I think it was Parkinson that said that uh, the, the job basically expands to fill the time allocated. Um, yes. And I'm a great believer in that. Um, yeah, so if we can actually squeeze up time and do our job within that time and then yes. allow ourselves a reward, if you like, for that, I think that's a super idea, most yes. definitely. It's just like a handbag. No matter what size it is, you will still <laughs> fill it up. <laughs> most definitely. Most definitely. <laughs> now, where are you from and where do you currently live? Well, I'm originally from uh, England and um, I was uh, born in the Midlands of England and I uh, came out to New Zealand in uh, 1975 and I stayed there for about four or five years um, and then went back to England, did my vet nurse, uh, registered vet nurse training and then uh, met my wonderful husband and we came back to Melbourne, Australia um, to uh, set up our own practice eventually. So is he a vet? He is a vet, most definitely. And you were managing the practice married to the vet? Well, there's that old <laughs> old chestnut, isn't there, about the vet's wife. And uh, the vet's wife, Kat, you would understand. Um, I don't think these days it's probably uh, such a big thing. But certainly working with practices, the vet's wife was a thing. And mm-hmm. um, I've worked in uh, with, with uh, f- uh, pharmacy companies and uh, wholesalers and over my career. And um, the vet's wife is definitely a thing or was definitely a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Someone to be feared, <laughs> uh, having little understanding of um, the uh, the intricacies of, of the clinical side of things, and yes. um, and a fierce manager of people. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. now we've moved on, and of course it's it's the vet's partner anyway. We don't use that terminology anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very determined when we set our practice up here in uh, in Melbourne that um, and and having my uh, English vet nurse qualification. It's quite interesting. We did a lot of things before we got to that point, but at that point, um, when we bought our practice, there was a, a superb team, an absolutely magnificent team in place. And mm. I made the decision that I would not do clinical nursing anymore. I took mm. the, 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 the staff aside and I said, look, I'm not going to break this. It's beautiful. Um, what I'm going to do is make this room into an office and I'm going to be the manager and my husband and I were uh, drew that line in the sand very early on in the piece mm. and um, basically it worked remarkably well it was absolutely fantastic it was a model practice when we when we sold it and that's exactly you you talking about the vet's wife that's exactly what I <laughs> didn't want to be when we decided to open our practice because I yes. was a lawyer and I had and I decided when you know when we had this chance to buy a client list and some equipment basically I um, had already decided okay well I'll do a myob short course because I'll need to look after that side of things but then I thought I would hate to be managed by as a veterinary nurse by yes. the vet's wife who is a lawyer, I would think, you don't know what you're talking about. Yes. You're trying to tell me to prioritise this over this, but you don't understand, you know, the order of priority or how long things take or how to do it well. So that's why I did my Cert 4 and in doing so I thought I actually realised I loved veterinary nursing. 
and then I did do clinical nursing for probably the first you know three years or so and then I reached a similar point as you where I where I said okay I need to now step back Um, the business is at a point that I need to step back and manage it and be more just sitting in this office out the front and focusing on the team and the business and where we're moving now that I have a handle on the clinical nursing so I think it's great to have a person that is just devoted to saying how do we keep this team working in harmony um, and how do we keep our employees happy and our clients happy and then the rest will follow. Mm. That's uh, that's absolutely um, what happened uh, with my situation. But then I also think as the practice is growing, Kat, um, it gets to a level where in actual fact it, it, it tips away from that. And um, Sane Vet Management, you know, our company, um, we actually have uh, recruited a lot of veterinary business managers for practices outside the veterinary industry. Yes. So these are people that, are, mm. you know, at an upper uh, business level, um, most with an MBA, who actually uh, can come fresh into the business at that upper level and mm. say, okay, what do we need to do with these six branches or ten mm-hmm. branches or whatever it may be mm. um, to, to get the, the best out of it functioning to, mm. to make profitable business and so yes I think there's definitely a curve there I'm not quite sure yeah. which way it's going but the curve is that it's wonderful as you start and grow your business to have somebody managing who's has got you know runs on the board they know how things work mm. um, and then you know when you've got your branch practices uh, you, <laughs> you might find yourself using some of those other skills that you have um, yes and I think when we draw ones. when we draw on those people who have knowledge of other industries, we can bring the veterinary industry a little more yes. into the current day because some veterinary practices like to use fax machines and they don't um, have any shielding <laughs> of the vets. Like when we first opened ReadyVet, we had one nurse who had worked with um, Matt at a previous clinic and one day the phone rang and it was just Joe Bloggs wanting an appointment, but he said, oh, can I speak to Matt? And she went, no worries, would you mind holding? And then she toddled down the hallway and knocked on the door mid consult and said Matt Joe Bloggs is on the phone and then he picked up the phone thinking it must be an emergency and it was just Joe Bloggs saying oh can I bring you know (laughs) Shaggy in for an appointment and I was horrified coming from the legal world where your secretary or your receptionist or your PA or whoever she is she is shielding you and she is making sure that she's screening the phone call making sure if it can be dealt with by her then she's doing that making sure that you're not interrupted and same when I saw Matt doing his hunt and peck two-finger technique of typing medical notes and I was like no 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 here is a dictation machine you are going to dictate we will transcribe so I think sometimes having those people with an MBA or who are coming from a dental practice or a human practice or a law firm can be great they can breathe fresh air in and say Mm. here is where you are not so efficient Mm. let's tighten that up absolutely so it's it's horses for courses really isn't it what what works and and what stage of development the practice is in as well Exactly. And so how did you get your foot in the door with vet nursing in your very first job? Ah, well, this is a bit of a story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, I moved to New Zealand um, uh, for uh, other reasons and uh, I needed to have a job. And my job previously had been as a farm secretary uh, in the UK. And I decided that I would like to be a veterinary nurse. My family, um, I was born on a farm. My family, uh, for their sins, uh, bred basset hounds. So, uh, well, one or two bitches, no great thing, but mm-hmm. there were always puppies around and, uh, having witnessed 
birth and all of those things, I considered myself an animal person. Mm-hmm. So uh, moving to Christchurch, I decided I, I wanted to be involved in veterinary practice and I literally went and sat in the waiting room um, until they let me through the swing door. <laughs> I can't really remember how many days it was, Kat, but uh, it was a while and I must have annoyed the bejeebas out of them. Yeah, uh, I, I got all the time up. on my hands. <laughs> I'm very patient. Yes, I kept turning up and eventually I, I you know, whittled it away and they allowed me through the swing door. Yeah. Now, once I'd uh, got through the swing door, I was actually quite horrified at what happened and that's, of course, the naivety, you know, of a 19-year-old. Um, mm. I hadn't realized, for example, you know, that you needed three people to sit on a large mastiff in order to look in his ear. <laughs> uh, I hadn't realized that you and, – and look, in those days, our animal handling techniques were very poor, I have mm. to say, in hindsight. Mm. But mm. I didn't realize that you had to gather together all the skin on the back of a cat's neck in order to give it an injection. Mm. Uh, uh, um, and so – I felt that the owners of these pets happily gave over the, you know, these are their beloved pets and they would give over the lead or the carrier Mm. and that animal would just disappear Mm. behind the swing door. And who was being the advocate for those patients the other side of the door? So that became my mantra. I am going to be an advocate for my patient. I'm going to be Mm. the one that speaks out for my patient. Um, And in terms of care and handling and all the other things, this is my patient. I have a duty of care to this patient. And and that was really my first thing. That was my first thing uh, in Christchurch. And I went on from there. I I went back to England and decided I I loved veterinary nursing. I loved the veterinary world. And I would get my qualifications there, which is exactly what I did in Plymouth. Oh, that's excellent. And that still stands true to this day, doesn't it? It's a really important thing to remind yourself of. Um, You know, I need to treat all of these patients as though they were my own pets. And sometimes also on the flip side, I feel like when owners are asking us just to take the animal out the back and do the nail trim, we have a duty to say to the owner, I think we should just wait and you should spend a week doing this counter conditioning at home that I'm going to show you how to do. And then maybe come back in a week because if we take him out the back, there's no magic wand that we're going to wave. We just have to all sit on him and petrify him and we don't really do that anymore yes and I would like to hear more about sane vet management because uh, obviously (laughs) I want to know where you work and your role from day to day okay uh well um Sally Boyle is my uh business partner in sane vet management um we started well our friendship uh, and working together started way back in 1995 or possibly even earlier than that um, and working on the Vet Nurses Council of Australia on, in all roles and all committee positions uh, over the years, we formed a really good, strong working relationship. And of course, we became best mates in the, in the process. So about, it's probably 11 years ago now, um, we decided that we would like to share all of the knowledge and, and experiences that we'd acquired over the years and um, give back to the uh, to the profession and we set up um, sane practice management um, mentoring with the idea that we would positively impact every veterinary practice in Australia and we've done quite well <laughs> <laughs> good. we've done quite well um, and we're still loving it uh, very much um, 
It's absolutely, it's such a delight, Kat, to go into practices. And I think what's changed for me over those years is that uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a positive buzz going through the profession. I love it. I love the fact that vet nurses uh, now have much more autonomy than they used to. Still mm. not enough, by the way. Mm. And we'll possibly talk about that a bit later. Mm. Um, I love that uh, the team that we talked about so long ago is possibly coming to fruition now. Um, the, uh, the synergy of working uh, of people working together with their own skills and putting that into problem solving. Um, so going into practices, meeting um, vet nurses and vets and receptionists and customer service people and managers and owners um, is just wonderful. Of course, for the last 133 days, mm. Oh, <laughs> well, there hasn't been much travel uh, yeah. and uh, we haven't been visiting practices, but we do um, a lot of leadership coaching and obviously that's uh, you know over Zoom um, and so we can uh, still have an impact, a positive impact, yes. I think the world will uh, possibly be left uh, looking quite different after this in that a lot of people will probably rely more on Zoom even when we can meet face to face because yes. we'll be so used to it and we're, you know, we're learning how to make it work and a lot of reps as well I know are contacting our practice saying, well, we can't come up but we can offer a Zoom or a Skype session and often that's actually better because um, we can say, okay, when can everyone sit down and do a, a, a Skype thing or can we watch the Zoom after the fact? So um, that sometimes might be better than somebody flying from, you know, Sydney to Cairns and you know all of the carbon that goes with that and so yeah I think um, I think that's absolutely true uh, I think what you said is um, is accurate but I there is a thing about conducting a workshop for example mm. if you're looking at uh, core values uh, vision and mission mm. having those people together in the room and one of the things that that we do really well is we're just awesome at facilitating these things she says yeah, yeah. Uh, modestly um, but, <laughs> uh, you know being agile um, yeah. in the moment and so when we're talking about shared core values for example mm. getting mm -hmm. the team to have ownership of those mm. things they've contributed to them they're not something mm. that's been dictated to them and in mm. order to do that you know you, you have to um have to whiteboard these things and and, yeah. and sit down with a, a small table in a large room, you know, and it does have an impact. That physical uh, yeah. sense of, of being part of something, the actual uh, venue and the, the the coming together of everyone um, to contribute to a common good is uh, is very precious. And I do hope that we'll see those times again. I really do, um, because I, I think That's that right. is hard to replicate um, remotely. It is. You need to build a certain atmosphere and read the room yes. and, and you need to be checking the body language of people who Absolutely. might not be contributing and find a way to ease them into and what do you think? And so, um, yeah, I imagine some of that would be quite difficult. Yes. Is this your favourite part of the job, going into practices and working on building <laughs> these core values? And Yes. Uh, yes, I think it probably is. Um, we, we also have workshops on um, the positive culture workplace, um, which, again, is extremely valuable. Um, mm. I'll just cite one little example for you, which your listeners might think about, want to think about a right. bit more. So we've done a lot of these. And one of the questions we ask, the slide goes up and says, is there bitching, sniping and cliques in your practice? Okay, mm. that's the slide up there. And then we give everyone a little slip of paper. And we ask them 
to write a Y for yes or an N for no if that statement is true or false. And so we have never had a hundred percent no mm. come back on that. Mm. Um, there are always people within a practice team that feel they're on the outside, yeah. um, that feel that they're the, the victim and that feel that they are uh, not part of it. Um, and so with that session, um, I just love working with those groups then and saying, you know, professionalism, why does this happen? How can you have your own little phrase that you're going to, you know, if somebody talks to you about someone else in the practice, you have a little mantra that you say to yourself and then you say it out loud. You practice mm. it, you know. Mm. I'm sorry, I don't like talking about other people at work. You've just got to say it once and then you can say it lots of times. Mm. And that, just that little uh, little phrase might help contribute to a bonded team. So I guess what I'm saying to you is that there are little tips and techniques that we can use on a very small level to help bond the team. Um, walking into the room and saying, okay, we're all going to get bonded now. We all love mm -hmm. each other and we're mm -hmm. all going to work really well together. It doesn't work, obviously. Mm -hmm. But working on little parts of that, what is the problem here? Why does this person feel they're on the outside? Um, mm -hmm. How can we manage this team to work uh, in a professional capacity without these little... Uh, sidelines I don't know what's your experience Kat are you, are you finding that that is that a true statement yeah so with our practice we started with most days working just my husband as the sole vet and then me plus one nurse and we probably had a rotating roster of me plus two or three nurses at any one time and that was it for the first few years and it was very harmonious and there was no bitchiness and Matt and I would pat ourselves on the back and say, haven't we made a great work culture? There's no bitchiness. It's not like these other practices we hear about. But as we started to grow and now we have, you know, three vets and probably about 10 support staff and on any given day it's two vets plus four support staff and now in the last couple of years we have noticed um, little bits of, you know, clicks or bitchiness or mm. pairs or trios and every now and again that will come to our attention and we always – now, and now we think it's inevitable. It's, you know, no matter what we do, it is inevitable once a team grows. And there are definitely ways you can jump on it, uh, as you're saying, like what are these concrete strategies we can use? And some of them that we do is we, um, if we hear about it, we sort of, again, do what you're saying, like why is this person on the outs or how can we share what we know with some other people to say, let's have some empathy for this person, you know, rather than exclude them or we'll go to that person and say, you're not being excluded. This is just um, the level that, that your position is and where you're at with your training. These are the things that you're going to do and it's not because you're not being favoured, you know, just sort of trying to explain to people. Um, but it is really hard, I guess, to stamp it out and to keep that culture positive but I, I do think that it needs to be discussed well I think probably one of the things I learned early on in, in the whole piece here was to be to um, perform your job in an objective manner not in a mm. subjective manner okay so mm. I am a professional performing my job primarily 
I don't go that track down the track of uh, of talking about other people in the practice and also talking about clients you know that sort of negative yes. culture that happens through the smallest mm-hmm. things how mm-hmm. many times have you heard someone put the phone down and say oh thank god she's off the phone now or you mm. know oh mrs so-and-so with fluffy again mm. and, and and being negative uh, about clients and mm-hmm. so i think all of those things can be switched around as i say they're very small little things but they all contribute towards having a good strong team culture I agree. And I think another thing that can contribute is um, to working, as you're saying, in this um, objective way is a clear division of of labor and of tasks and of roles. I think it's really dangerous when you're in a situation where the vet needs assistance and there are three potential people that could be asked and the person who is chosen to assist is just based on um, the person who's really good at putting themselves in a handy location when they know that there's about yes. to be a blood collection from the jugular that requires restraint or there's about to be an x-ray and they know how to just be in the right location to yes. be like, oh, do you need help when the vet pops out the door? Or there can be a situation where the vet chooses the nurse that they have the best relationship with and that they're friends with and they go to the gym after work and yep. that's not ideal either because that puts other people on the outs. So I think having a roster that says – this person is supporting the vet in consult two during consults today. This person is helping the vet who's in surgery. This person is helping the hospitalised patients so that yeah. everybody knows this is what I'm doing. And, you know, if the door swings open and the vet needs assistance in the consult room, we all know who's going in. Yes, I totally agree with that. And I, I believe that every day uh, each person's role should be clearly rostered. Um, this is what you're doing today. Um, I, I think that's... Um, uh, that sometimes you get a little bit of kickback. Don't make me do reception. I hate reception. I hate mm. people. Don't mm. make me go out the front. I, I, mm-hmm. You know, and we we uh, we've had uh, you know a, a sort of metaphorical bungee rope trying to tie nurses to the <laughs> mm. to the reception desk because mm-hmm. they just want to be out the back. Exactly. Um, in our practice, we had a, a rule that um, the reception area was never vacant, so that mm. anyone coming into the practice would mm-hmm. always be greeted warmly. And so that that was a tough training gig, that one, I have to say. Totally. But uh, as the practice grew and we were able to, you know, afford more staff, dedicated um, customer service staff, um, then it was uh, it was great to, to be able to leave that person there and know. Uh, I mean, you can actually pack a kit in reception, you know. Exactly. You can fold, you can fold towels, you can fold drapes, you can roll drapes, you can do all of that in reception. Exactly. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And it was the same when we opened, I was like, where is everyone? Why am I the only one out the front with, you know, two phone lines and six people and a discharge? And so we very early on started rostering it, but we also have um, different uniforms so that the vet is not going to see somebody making a cup of tea and and go, oh, can you help me? But it's actually the person who's out the front. It's very clear they have a black uniform on. And so the vet goes, okay, you're out the front. Where's the other person I need? So yeah, I think that um, it's that, that removing all of those things that can make someone think, oh, the vet didn't ask me to help because I'm not the favorite if you remove all of that stuff then you've gone a long way towards cutting out some of those things that that will contribute to the clicks and the you know feeling like I'm not part of the team absolutely I think managers just need to be aware that it is possible to manage that Um, it's it's not inevitable It, it just needs to be identified and then managed yeah exactly 
Um, well, we're definitely on the same page with a lot of these things. So I'm happy to, to be hearing some of your ideas. And um, what is your routine when you wake up in the morning? And I guess for the last 130 days, again, that would be very <laughs> different because um, we, we've all adopted a different, somewhat of a different uniform and um, yes. less of a need maybe to put on anything but the tracky ducks. So but yep. how, how do you roll? <laughs> well, um, guiltily, yes. I'm, I'm definitely a business shirt top, uh, pyjama bottoms person these days. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, in the morning, um, I guess the first thing that I do is, is let my dog out. We've got a, a big 50 kilo um, Mastiff Cross Dane and uh, so we go out and, and walk around the garden. I love my garden. It's very, very important to me. Um, and so I spend a bit of time looking at all the things that have changed overnight. Um, and then um, I'll have a cup of tea and then I'll do a workout. Um, and then after that, I'll have a shower and get ready for the day. Um, I like getting up early if I can. Some, some mornings I don't always achieve that, but I, I love the world first thing in the morning. Oh, that sounds like a great start to the day. Yeah, I think um, we've also, my husband and I, done a lot of traveling. We've got a a uh, four-wheel drive camper van that we've taken to many places in Australia. And I think that morning habit comes from that. The, the, the world is just beautiful first thing. Yes, definitely. My husband and I spent uh, three or four months traveling the whole way around Australia in our combi van. And yes. it's probably the only time I can think back and genuinely feel like I enjoyed the morning because, yes. you know, the sun would pour in and there, you know, there's no hope of staying asleep in a 1973 combi van while um, the sun's <laughs> coming up. So, Absolutely. Oh, um, great, great. Now, what weekly or daily habit makes your life better? I'm sure getting out into your garden and doing your daily workout is all really helpful for you. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, that is just absolutely goes without saying. Um, we all know that, that exercise is very good for our mental well-being. And um, I value enormously um, our times uh, out walking the dogs. They're more of a hike, really. <laughs> They're usually about, uh, I don't know, one and a half to two hours long. Um Masked now. We wear masks when we yeah. go on our walks. Um, workout um, is a leftover from um, when I would visit the gym maybe three times a week. And I've been doing a little bit of work with my PT um, remotely mm-hmm. now. And um, I've got a home gym in my bedroom. Is that thanks <laughs> that, to COVID? Uh, uh, that's thanks to COVID, absolutely, yeah. yes. So my, the my gyms home have gym been, as well. Yeah, the, <laughs> the gyms have been closed for a long time. They did open briefly uh, yeah. a few weeks ago. But they've been closed for a long time now. And so, I've, you know, I feel that um, it would have been easy just to have stopped doing that. Mm. It would have been very easy. But mm-hmm. uh, I think that uh, I'm such a great advocate for exercise, keeping you, uh, keeping your mind well as well as your body, of course. It really does, doesn't it? And I love that you say it would have been easy just to stop because I had made my great comeback to the gym about two weeks before COVID. And then the gyms shut and oh, it, it no. was hard to get equipment and everything like that. And it was, but, but, you know, I, and I, we didn't do anything for a while, but then our gym started hiring out gear, sorted us out with a program and that was great. But then the gyms reopened. So I had to send the gear back 
and then it was hard to take the kids and I still didn't feel great about taking both of my kids out and so and by then my baby had gotten older and he could crawl around so it was tempting just to say I'll stop but I was like no I'm going to get the home gym sorted I'm going to get a PT and you just have to fight to make those things happen because when you're not exercising you don't know how good it makes you feel you forget about it and then when you do one session you're like oh that's right it's like taking a whole bunch of happy drugs when I'm done. Kat, you're very eloquent about that, Cat. That is absolutely, uh, I concur 100% with that. It, it is a, a, all those endorphins and the dopamine, all the wonderful things that are happening in your body. Um, and you do, after your gym session, you feel great. And also probably a little bit sanctimonious as well. Look what I've just done. I made myself do it. I'm one of these people in my exactly, lycra. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I don't gonna... do that. I don't actually put the lycra on in my bedroom gym, by the way. <laughs> oh, sometimes I wear active wear when I haven't worked out for like six months. <laughs> just makes yeah. me feel like I'm that one step closer. And, and much like my wearing active wear for no reason, do you have any strange habits or superstitions? Well, yes, I think I'm a bit weird, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, yes, my family tell me I'm a bit weird. Um, yes, I do. Uh, I've inherited lots of superstitions, I think, from my mum. And so mm -hmm. things like, you know, seeing crossed knives on the table or new shoes. Uh, should never go on the table. Um, I wouldn't walk under a ladder. Um, yeah. If a black cat crossed in front of me I would consider that a, a token of, of good fortune oh I'm full of them it's terrible <laughs> and in a way I feel you know with my children and my grandchildren I have four granddaughters under five mm. um I kind of want to keep these things going really we've got a little kind of good witch coven uh, my granddaughters oh, wow. and I where we uh we <laughs> we make up brews and and uh witchy spells and we have a lot of fun a lot of fun I love it and I love all of these superstitions as well I have a lot of them in my family too yes. running down my mum's side and from yes. you know my great-grandmother and my grandmother and th I love a good old superstition absolutely now can you think of a purchase made by you or so it might have been for your business or it might have been something that you used in practice or I'm going to extend it for you to a Thank purchase you. that you have seen in another practice that you've been to to um to help them yeah. um a purchase that has positively impacted vet nurse life yeah i think um probably the uh the I can't do this without naming the brand, really. Um, <laughs> the, the large uh, LED screen that's appeared in treatment rooms that mm. tell us all uh, where everybody is. So patient oh, tracking. I'm okay. so interested in that. And I know of a few nurses who have it. And yes. I am really interested in it because um, we're growing out of our building and we're going to need to build again in a few years. And I'm thinking about all of these things and how amazing that would be to have this up-to-date information um, that, you know, somebody's inputting on a on a, an iPad or whatever, you know, this is yeah. what's happening with this patient. And then it just gets up to date and we all know. Yeah. So I think that um, patient monitoring, you know, can be in a busy practice, a large practice, patient monitoring can be problematic. Mm -hmm. um, we can lose, uh, I'll give you a little example of what happened one day at our practice. Um, I walked through the treatment room and there was a, a, a rabbit in, <coughs> excuse me, uh, in a, uh, a cage there. And um, I walked past and I could see it got all the right things as you do subconsciously once a mm. vet nurse always a vet nurse mm. and um the next morning I came walked through again and the rabbit was still there Ugh. and 
I said to uh, one of the nurses there, um, what's the story with this rabbit? And and she said, oh, it's my rabbit. Um, he's, uh, I can't remember what the problem was, but I, was, I brought him in yesterday for a consultation, but we didn't have time. So I'm hoping somebody will manage to have a look at him today. And that told me so many things on so many levels, that little instance, which mm. is that um, a veterinary business needs to treat the employee's patients as they would any other. Mm. Mm. And that means uh, uh, a consultation booked in the scheduler, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, a proper 20-minute uh, examination and consultation for that patient, and that uh, it's, it's charged up properly, and then maybe a discount is given, but it's charged up properly, um, and the, uh, the care of that patient is as good as any other patient coming into that practice. Mm. Now, um, in terms of patient management, uh, these systems that are now available, that would have meant that that rabbit would not have got overlooked or pushed to the bottom of the queue mm. over and over again. That would have been flagged. We need to do this. Who's going to do it? When are they going to do it? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I love about these patient management systems. It means that you can track the patient as it is, it, is admitted. Mm. Um, which ward is it in? Has it had its surgery? Has it had the procedure? Has the bill been written up? Um, and uh, what, when and who is going to discharge it? Have we phoned the owner? And so all these things, this patient tracking is very important. Um, yes. I agree. And that makes me think too of when we used to have pre all of the great um, tick preventatives that we now have, we used to always have a hospital full of tick patients and mm. a, a major part of our management was tracking how frequent, frequently we had TPR'd the patients and how frequently we had called the owners because we always wanted to be on the front foot. Yes. Otherwise, every phone call was an owner ringing to say, how's Scruffy? Um, and we would be like, yes. oh, oh my gosh, who, who is Scruffy? We've got 10 tick patients, let me run and see. So instead we would have you know it on the whiteboard so that we could be saying, how often do, would you like to be called? Let's do that. But it it required, you know, coordinating between the whiteboard and the paper and sort of running around. So I can see how that would be great. And I also agree with staff pets because, again, we've grown recently. We have a policy where if you're wanting to bring your pet in because it's something that is, you know, routine or non-urgent, you should come on your day off so that we can make a proper appointment, allocate yes a lot of time not have you just bring them in with you and go oh and he's due for his annual health check because then the vet will be less inclined to say well let's aspirate this lump or actually I'd really like to take a radiograph of these knees or whatever it be so obviously if it's urgent or if the pet's unwell we say bring them on your shift if you're coming in but for anything else like a long-running issue or skin or um, you know something like that we say come in make a proper appointment be treated like a, a client you know come in on your, your time off and have all of the time we need. Absolutely. Perfect. I mean, that that's, and it shows respect as well. I think, Kat, um, it shows respect for, for our employees mm. that, I mean, if they can't get the best veterinary prof professional attention for their pets, then who can? If we can't do that ourselves for our own pets, then who can? Yeah, that's right. Excellent. And um, and I, I also see in our practice too, sometimes a dog will get dropped off or a cat because it's been found by a member of the public. Oh, yes, that's common, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, and then at like five to five, all, you know, all the patients have mm. been discharged and we're just checking on any impatience and then we're like, what's happening with this one? Yes, our <laughs> classic. 
and you've got like a healthy three-year-old staffy that's going to bark all night, all night. to your <laughs> sick geriatric yes. pancreatitis dog and you're like, yes. oh, can we get counsel? What's happening? Yes. So you, would, you wouldn't have those issues as well if you had really good tracking. That's right. So that that was, uh, you know, one of the, the technological advances that's happened in the last few years that I think has made that nurses' lives a lot easier, definitely. Absolutely. I cannot imagine it, but I look forward to, to it. And by the time I get to having that in our practice, there will be probably the next thing. Yes, absolutely. I, 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 that's a thing. Virtual medicine is definitely a thing. Um, holistic, uh, you know, holograms of, they're yes. using it in the veterinary, in the human uh, setting already. Um, holograms of the doctor sitting next to you by your bedside, um, having a chat with you. Wow. Wonderful. Wonderful. And again, I guess COVID-19 is really going to push the development of a lot of that as well. Yes, so. absolutely it will. Um, because those face-to-face um, situations are just going to become much more difficult to organise. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's great too for you know pet owners in remote areas. It's really difficult. We have clients who live, you know, two, three hours away um, up Cape York and we're the closest practice and they it's difficult. You know, they need um, a, a Schedule 4 drug or they you know, there's been an accident and the dog's injured. It's really hard. I think we need to bridge those gaps for those remote um, patients and clients and say, how can we apply um, telemedicine or, you know, what is the, the way of the future for this? Yes. And I think, you know, credit to uh, the AVA, they've responded quite quickly um, with uh, acknowledging that uh, a veterinarian needs to have a relationship with a client Mm. Um, but there are situations just as you've described where um, uh, prescriptions and uh, perhaps a virtual video a virtual Mm. call showing a video of the animal um, will be enough to uh, to do that to be to qualify if you like as a consultation yeah. It's mm. a very exciting field. And as you say, COVID, I think, has pushed this forward a lot. The states are much further ahead with, uh, with these things, virtual medicine, than, than we are. But we're seeing, beginning to see it happen. Yeah. Now, can you tell me about a time when you were able to turn defeat into victory? Oh, this, was, this is really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I'm probably a, an optimistic person by nature, Kat. And I, I really so stressed to think of something that I would label defeat yeah. because I'm, I'm a Jack Russell Terrier and I just hang on to that uh, <laughs> trouser leg and... Rawr. We're winning! <laughs> We're nearly there. Um, but I, I did think of a time... Um, we the, the Vet Nurses Council of Australia uh, were very determined that, um, that uh, registration or some formal recognition of the veterinary nursing qualification needed to happen. And over those early years, uh, there were one or two opportunities uh, where we could promote that concept. Um, As you may or may not know, the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons in the UK is an umbrella body for veterinarians and veterinary nurses. And they they took it upon themselves to, to... do all the registration and qualifications monitoring, CPD monitoring um, of veterinary nurses as well as vets. And that was a huge step forward. And of course, we're all part of a veterinary team. Uh, Why wouldn't that happen? And I was so thrilled when that happened in the UK. And back in 1995, we did a huge amount of work, uh, solicitor and advisors, um, 
and uh, the Vet Nurses Council uh, presented uh, a um, proposal to the uh, Australian Veterinary Boards, um, but unfortunately that didn't go anywhere and we couldn't get that off the ground. We went back again in 2006, this time with the new modern PowerPoint <laughs> <laughs> and uh, presented to the Australasian Veterinary Board Council suggesting in light of all these other things that maybe they would like to uh, give their blessing to a registration of veterinary nurses. But unfortunately, that didn't happen either. Wow. And so um, I am just really pleased to, uh, to be involved with AVNAT um, now, uh, this uh, mandatory, uh, well, voluntary registrations is at the moment. Hopefully we're going to get uh, a little bit further with that. Um, mm -hmm. But at that time, uh, we put it, uh, you probably can't imagine, we would work into the night. We had a fax machine and telephones. Um, I had the first vet nurse uh, VNCA um, uh, member list on my dining room table in a little box, all the cards, and Sally Boyle had come over, and mm -hmm. that's why she's member number one, by the way, and I'm member <laughs> number 23, my favourite number. Um, and, uh, and, and, and we would work, all of these wonderful people around Australia working to make the VNCA a thing, absolutely just devoted and dedicated beyond your imagination. <laughs> so many hours, so much hard work. And so we put a lot of work into these applications to the, to the vet boards regarding registration. And we were very disappointed. So if you like, that could have been defeat. Mm. And um, we went away and thought, well, what can we do? Why, why if our profession won't recognise us, do, are there other bodies that might recognise this qualification, this certificate for veterinary nursing that we're saying is the line in the sand? And so I went to the Department of Health uh, in Victoria and spoke to the people at the radiation um, department and we managed to get, despite um, the, a lack of, dis of support from um, our veterinary colleagues, we managed to get through uh, inclusion of Certificate for in Veterinary Nursing as someone who is able to apply for a radiation operator's licence. Ah. And that then went through Australia. Not all states have it, but if you hop onto the VNCA website, you can see which states that is available for. So this means that the Certificate of Foreign Veterinary Nursing is deemed to have provided that person with enough knowledge and background to be able to operate that machine. Mm -hmm. And that was just like this huge thing. It was the first time veterinary nurses had been actually identified as someone other than a layperson, someone who actually had competence and skills in this area. Because we were very worried that there were 16, 17-year-old people there being told to press the button and having mm. had no idea of why they were doing it or mm. the dangers that they were incurring from doing it. Mm. So uh, the other thing we did, we managed to get uh, microchipping implanters. So veterinary nurses, cert for qualified vet nurses can also apply for, for that license. So although we were defeated on the big picture, we had two small wins. Mm. And, and, and all of which can start pointing towards, you know, this is why this is why we should be having wins on the big picture. So well, you were yes. you were part of the founding members of the VNCA, is that right? Yep, 
Yep. That's, and that's really exciting as well. So, um, and then I think it's it's not a defeat, as you say, but it's one of those, if, if at first you don't succeed, then try and try again and keep trying from 1995 until <laughs> we see Avnat in 2019. So. Yes, yes, absolutely. It, it's wonderful. It's it's so exciting that the, the, uh, the board of the VNCA, they uh, have the vision and uh, they believe that this is the next direction and even though you know all those years we've been heading in the same direction I think until we get that um, professional qualification well professional recognition Mm. um, we'll always uh, in a way I think vet nurses are often their own worst enemy you know we have to step up and Mm. be professional in our job and that's in so many ways you know let's Mm. use proper terminology in the Mm. practice you know, let's talk about feces and urine. Mm, mm. <laughs> um, let, let's let's be professional in our behaviour. Let's dress properly. Let's behave properly, um, and and let's be competent, learning uh, veterinary professionals, um, and not sink into this mire of uh, just a vet nurse. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and I think that um, when. If that mentality of if at first you don't succeed, keep trying, I think we can all take a bit of that away. But also what you're saying about our professionalism, because I had a post recently on social media that got a lot of engagement about um, the use of various pre-meds um, and, you know, some some recent information that I wasn't aware of that um, caught from veterinary anesthesia shared Um a lot of people were saying, oh, great, we can, you know, take this to our vets next week and see what they think. And But some people were saying, oh, if only our vets listened to us or if only our vets cared what we think. And that is part of this lack of professionalism, I think, that can make us our own worst enemy as well. Um, yes. Making that division and saying comments that are not necessarily um, appropriate or respectful. So when we do want to come back with an idea like you were doing with, you know, re- registration of veterinary nurses, just to patiently wait and be respectful and then come back again and try um, rather than just, you know, being engaging in, I guess, slander or complaining and things that, that won't work in our favour if we do want want to be making waves and presenting things that can be um, incorporated as, as changes and modernization of our practices. That's absolutely right. It's, uh, we're in it for the long haul, Kat. Mm. Uh, it's 25 years. Um, it will happen. I have no doubt about that at all, mm. um, even if it's in a non-statutory uh, way. Uh, registration of veterinary nurses will happen. But it does come with all the bad things. It comes with the fact that if we're going to do that, we have to feel confident enough to be uh, to be sued, right? <laughs> to, to yeah. have insurance. Mm, you know? mm. If we're going to be those people, we really, really have to want to be those people and we have to take it uh, and, and step up to it. And I think there are, there are career nurses and then there are nurse, the others, you know, and it's the mm. career nurses that will drive this most definitely. And knowing, as I do, some of the current um, and recent board members, when you talk about sitting around your dining table with the founding (laughs) members and staying up all night and working on things, I can definitely say that although um, the VNCA now has, you know, its head office and it has um, employees, it is still this core group of people who are staying up all night, working away, people like Jazz who are just pushing us closer and closer towards the goal. So it's still definitely much driven with the same level of passion that you and Sally had sitting around the dining table um, all those years ago. So thank you for starting the ball rolling for us and we're going to keep pushing it. 
Yeah, and then that's the nature of the beast. That is, that is us. That is vet nurses. They, we mm. are Jack Jack Russells. <laughs> We're not going <laughs> to let go. We're fighters. Yes. On that note, we might stop for a quick break and uh, are you happy if we come back in a couple of minutes? Absolutely. Support for Radio Vet Nurse comes from Zilkeen. It's a supplement for cats and dogs that can help with stressful or unpredictable situations. You know the ones, thunderstorms, travel, multi-cat households, all those triggers. Zilkeen contains alpha-cazozapine to help keep the animal calm. It's the same molecule that helps keep newborns calm after breastfeeding. It's palatable and easy to give. I mix it into my dog's food. Some behavioural issues are severe and Zilkeen probably won't help these but it works well for many pets in stressful situations worth a try right Hey, Kat Robinson here. You know me from Radio Vet Nurse, but I'm also the co-founder, co-owner and general manager of ReadyVet. ReadyVet is a veterinary surgery in far north Queensland. My husband's a vet and we really, really, really appreciate our vet nurses. In case you hadn't noticed, I'm kind of passionate about nursing too. So when I told Matt I wanted to start Radio Vet Nurse to celebrate vet nurses and tell our story, we agreed that ReadyVet would make this financially possible. So thanks, ReadyVet. That's all. Carry on. Welcome back, Jane. Now, what advice would you give to someone about to enter the world of vet nursing? In order to uh, start out, most people do have some incident or some um, thing that's happened in their life that has made them want to become a veterinary nurse in the first place. Now, I'm not being glib here. What I'm saying is that 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 little seed is what you need to be able to grab onto, identify it and grab onto it and say, this is why I'm doing this, because of this. And uh, I mean, calling it a passion is, is quite grand, but it may be that you, uh, that you need to refer back to why you started in the first place. So hang on in there, I would say. Mm. Um, I, there's a great movie called Galaxy Quest that I recommend that you watch. It's a big spoof of uh, the uh, science fi- uh, sci-fi uh uh, movies of the time, but uh, the leader of the um, the ship, the spaceship, says very fiercely, "Never give up, never surrender." And I think, <laughs> in terms of uh, uh, hanging on in there in the world of veterinary nursing, never give up, never surrender. And, and this is an honourable profession. And what I mean by honourable is that it's deserving of praise and respect. This is a very wonderful thing to be doing. Mm. And veterinary nursing is, is its own vocational uh, world. Uh, we don't use the word vocation very much these days, but I believe it is a vocation um, in that we, we tend to be devoted to it. We stay with it. It's a, a lifelong career. Mm. Um, and so it's honorable and we must remember that. Uh, we must remind ourselves of that, I think. I want to take you back to something that you said earlier about the positive buzz within the industry and I think it's really palpable just with what's going on with Avnat and the VNCA. I know we've got lots of new members and and people interested in stepping forward and being part of various committees and divisions and so I think that the timing at the moment has something to do with it as well. Absolutely. Um, I think that uh, these things, you know, have our own curves uh, when big things happen and then they're quiet for a while and then something new puts uh, veterinary nursing back in the limelight. Um, I think as an individual, 
somebody about to enter the world of veterinary nursing needs to really contemplate becoming a member of the VNCA. Um, obviously, if you're able to uh, commit to uh, sitting on a state or national position as well, that's absolutely wonderful. But most people, we just need you to be members. The more mm. members we have, the more uh, powerful the association is and the more clout it can uh, carry when it's trying to get big picture things happening. So certainly the advice to give someone about entering the world of, of uh, veterinary nursing, it's an honourable profession, um, it deserves praise and respect and uh, please join your uh, the VNCA and please make sure that you get your um, certificate for in vet nursing. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I see sometimes on social media nurses saying, what do I get if I join the VNCA? And they're talking about obviously what the VNCA calls the benefits of belonging. And it might be a discount on this or, a, you know, access to webinars or whatever it is. But for me, my drive to join when I found out that it existed just was because my parents um, were unionists. You know, my parents were very, they were teachers and they were very big on the union being the body to be a part of to have the, the, your rights heard your rights as a, as a worker and someone in the workforce they would advocate for you so for me it was a no-brainer and I th- think that's an important thing to remember it's not necessarily do you get a discount on your sketches or do you get a discounted webinar to get what we all get is we we get uh, a body that is acting in our interest and is representing for us and like you did all those years ago going to Queensland Health or Vic Health and saying can we be put on this list of people who can apply for a license to use um, an x-ray apparatus or you know can we be put on this list of people who have access to this so um, not to forget that yeah being part of the BNCA is an important step just inherently to move us forward and to advocate for our rights. Absolutely uh, correct Kat also um, we all need to belong to a tribe and, and mm. the tribe supports us um, subliminally we kind of need to belong to something and although Mm. we belong to our family we belong to our practice belonging to a a bigger institution um, is very good for us it's very healthy to know that we've got somebody watching our back in this respect love that tribe idea too now what advice would you give to a student vet nurse struggling with their studies i'm going to go back to the galaxy quest quote never give (laughs) up never surrender think that today's methods of teaching um, offer a lot of support. Um, mm. it, it's uh, possible to um, adopt a mentor um, either in your practice or through your training organization to help you through those sticky bits. Um, I think that using some time management tools such as Covey's Grid, I don't know if you're familiar with that. No. I still use that to this day. Um, Google it. (laughs) And it helps you to determine the urgent and important things, um, uh, becoming a, a number one, if you like, quadrant one. There's four quadrants on this grid, important, not urgent, not important, urgent, and um, whatever the other one is. But basically... uh, What we want is to be able to uh, put all the tasks that we have to do into the quadrant that's marked important, not urgent. Okay. Mm. So if you're getting sidetracked with your studies um, or you can't focus on one thing or you're not being able to get access to that particular um, thing in your practice, uh, there's nobody to support you in your practice, just get it into context. 
how important is this? Is this the most important thing that I need to be dealing with in order to progress my studies? Um, mm. And uh, maybe... Um, you know, I can I can come back to that at a later date. Just because this thing has come up now, does it necessarily mean I need to address it now? Can I mm. can I car park that over there for a week or two, and and perhaps make something else my uh, my focus at the moment? So I think managing your time is a really important um, uh, addition to, to if you're struggling with your studies. Just try and take a little bit of time to actually manage your time. What did you say it is? Whose grid? Covey, C-O-V-E-Y. Covey's Grid. I will Covey's put a, I will Google it and put a link to it in the show notes. It sounds Fantastic. like triage of tasks, yes, basically. Yes, it is. That's yeah. exactly what it is, yes. Um, and, and, and so the place that we work best is dealing with uh, important but not urgent things. It, that's a good mm. way to get things moving forward. If, we, if we're in urgent and important, there's a lot of stress associated with that quadrant where yeah. we tend to be um, you know, impacted by the, the, the sense of immediacy and stress that comes with that. You know, We have to get it done. So it's all time-based and value-based. So if it's really... Um, uh, if we try and move things away from being urgent, we try and mm. put those into um, not urgent category. Um, and yeah, anyway, it's a very useful tool. I use it a lot, and that's part of our uh, another workshop we do called Time Management for Overloaded Vet Teams. And it's, I think it goes to that thing where we say if you want something done, ask a busy person to do it because I yeah. feel like my ability to order tasks in that manner has become better the busier I have become yes. like becoming yes. a mum, I know I'm not going to get through everything on my work list so I'm constantly reshuffling saying well is it the end of the world if I don't get get this episode edited no yes. it is the end of the world if I don't get the accountant these end of quarter figures um, and so I'm constantly moving things around but when I think back to me studying I would have even put other things in it like is cleaning the grout between my tiles in the bathroom <laughs> urgent and important? No, cat. put the toothbrush down and stop cleaning mould, which you never want to do unless you have an assignment. So I think we can put these bigger things in there too, like walking the dog, scrubbing the bathroom, you know? Yeah, procrastination is a wonder, isn't it? <laughs> it's a very my house powerful would thing. Sparkle every time yes. I had exams and assignments due. Yes, so so procrastination is not important and not urgent, and uh, nothing really needs to be in there. It's just uh, wasting time, which we need to do sometimes, of course. That's for right. Yeah. Just let things simmer on the back burner of the brain. There, I like to think. Yeah. Now, are there any bad or old recommendations that you hear as a vet nurse that you think should be replaced with more useful or modern information? Oh, look, I'm just going to go back to, you know, this perpetuating a bad workplace culture by speaking badly about clients or possibly worse colleagues, mm. you know. I do mm -hmm. still hear that um, a lot uh, in, in practices, as I mentioned before, and I think that we could um, take a, a new uh, a new take on that. We could just individually, if we individually address this issue in practice, um, that would be a great step forward. Um, the other thing is that the phrase just a nurse, again, going mm. back to that, that is something um, that people still say. Um, and and I, uh, so what's your your position here at the practice? Oh, I'm just the vet nurse. Um, you know, mm. I'm not the vet, I'm the vet nurse. And, and this uh, need to be more confident about our role and to be proud of, of what we do and the contribution we make to the veterinary team, the veterinary healthcare team. 
Mm, that is such an important one and I am so guilty of that because people that, that I meet within my community will often say, oh, what do you do? And I say, oh, my husband and I have ready vet and they'll say, oh, are you a vet? And I say, oh, no, no, I'm just a nurse. My husband's a vet. And oh, I need to stop saying that. Yes, absolutely, Kat. And I, I was in the same position for a long time and I could hear myself saying it and I, I stopped myself saying it. Um, my husband's a veterinarian. And I'm a veterinary nurse and held my head up proudly um, because, do you know, the general public think that we're all qualified, we're all registered mm, and we're mm. all in a position to be able to look expertly after their pets. Mm, it is mm. the world's best kept secret. It I, is. I think I'm pretty sure the VNCA did a survey of people once or maybe I did that personally. I can't really remember uh, how it came about. But we surveyed a number of pet owners and asked them, um, do you think that this that the veterinary nurses uh, at this practice um, have a, are registered? Do you think that they have a qualification? And uh, without doubt, the general public believe that to be the case. They align us to the human healthcare sector and assume mm. that we would not be doing these tasks if it were not without qualification and registration behind us. I agree. It is the it is the world's best kept secret, and I would even extend it to say, in in my experience, I also think that sometimes uh, newer graduate vets or even vets who have been around for a while have the same assumption that this person yeah. that they're working with, who is part of the team and who is called a veterinary nurse, must have a qualification similar to what they went through to become a vet, and they don't know the difference between one day the person assisting with anaesthesia might just uh, be yes. somebody who's called a veterinary nurse but they haven't done even started a certificate for yes. and another day it might be somebody who is a qualified veterinary nurse who does CPD regularly um, who does understand and yet they will be treated the same way when it comes to um, how is this patient going is their blink is their jaw tone what's happening um, so I, I, I personally in my practice that's one of the ways I try to ensure safety for my patients is to talk to the vets about the different levels of experience and education that our team has to make that safer yes uh absolutely i and I, I i you know it goes without saying um that that we again we're our own worst enemies you know we need to be strong and proud of what we are and what we do um i think maybe that was interesting what you said about um some uh new grads not realizing either i, th I think that's uh, a very good point um, and ironic in a way, isn't it? <laughs> Mm, mm, yeah, definitely. And some people can have, some veterinary nurses um, can have lots of bravado and confidence and, you know, be excited about what they're doing and probably come across like they know everything. And, and some nurses who are not qualified have been in the game for a long time and they do genuinely understand and have a great skill set. Um, but, you know, somebody else might just be not so confident, but they may have all of the latest knowledge and information and qualification and CPD. So um, nice. I think that's where Avnat is great too because a vet can see, oh, here is a you know here is a nurse within the practice who is registered. Yes, and on the upside, Kat, uh, you know, since this all began, since the the um, uh, the VNCA were very involved in creating the vet nurse training package um, when that happened, and um, and I was very pleased to be able to sit on uh, some of those committees where we worked really hard to get that in place, that certificate for in vet nursing. Um, and I think that, that uh, 
you know, when I look now at the list of jobs available for vet nurses, they nearly always say certificate for qualification required. And mm. that's really heartening to me because mm. that means we've gone from nothing to the norm. In, in that space, space of time. So that's that's lovely to hear. And I don't know the figures, but off the top of my head, I would say there are more cert for qualified nurses working as veterinary nurses now uh, than, than there aren't. So are either student nurses or they're qualified vet nurses compared to those people um, that, that are not. And look, that is not by any means to dismiss all those people who have got years of wonderful experience and, mm. and they're great too. And of course, they can actually have that um that uh, that life experience assessed and uh, receive a, um, their qualification uh, too with a little bit of work added to it. That's a really good point. Yeah. And on to the other, um, the other part of this answer that, that you mentioned, which is avoiding, I guess, this client bashing mentality. Yes. That is something else I have to remind myself to do because sometimes if I'm feeling a bit burnt out or you know, the phone, the after hours phone's ringing again with somebody who's not, you know, used basic tick prevention or whatever. So my husband's got to go in while I'm about to run the gauntlet of mm. baths and dinner and bed and all mm. of that with our kids. And I want to roll my eyes and just be like, oh, um, the, there, there's a phrase that another guest, Amy Newfield from the States said mm. in her interview that I now tell myself whenever I'm thinking that way, which is assume good intention and it's a really good thing to remind ourselves when we want to eye roll about the client or we want to be like oh god not again you just have to assume good intention say well this person's doing the best they can full stop yes that's absolutely right and it's that's wonderful um i'm writing it down as we speak (laughs) it's a great one and you can apply it to every facet of your life from your children to your husband to your friends to your dog it it really it really is a universal little phrase you can use and i I think it it probably forms the basis of trust and trust a really big thing for me um and I've, I've, i've studied that as an entity in its own right um, especially in veterinary practice, and that you know the requirement that we need to trust, um, we need to trust that as veterinary nurses that our veterinarian is going to make the right diagnosis and and, mm. and prescribe the right course of treatment for these patients. We need to trust that the receptionist is saying the right things to get these people to bring their animal, get these clients to bring their animals in. We mm-hmm. need to trust our manager to manage the business properly so that we all have our jobs. Mm, you know? mm. um, the vets need to trust that nurses uh, are capable of doing uh, ear swabs and, and skin scrapes. We need, the, the trust is, is implicit and mm. it's incredibly valuable in practice that, that we need to be able to trust each other. And this idea of assume, assume good intention, I love because it, it, inde- it underpins that concept of trusting. Mm. Um, so, yes, that's, uh, we, we assume that I trust you, I make myself vulnerable to you, until you prove otherwise. Mm, okay. mm, so I'm assuming right. that you will do these things. I'm assuming that you intend to do these things with a good heart mm. um, until you prove otherwise. So I really like that. That's a great, great phrase. Thank you for that, Kat. No, you're welcome. And it can also help when, you know, a vet might have looked and, and thought, oh, gosh, why why have they double booked me again with this case that actually yes. wasn't urgent? And mm. well, we can assume good intention that, yes. you know, that, that we're trying to get people in the door. We're trying to, you know, be there for animals that may need pain relieved or may need, um, you know, us to make that extra room for them. Yes. And we're sorry if we double booked you and got it wrong. We had good intention. And there's a lot of time wasted in, you know, in double, double checking everything. In 
in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think probably some people who, who are strong controllers mm-hmm. need to be able to uh, to to absolutely assume good intention for when things have happened in the practice that they're not sure about, they don't understand. They have to have the confidence and, and the trust in their colleagues to move forward with these things, just as you said in that example. That's right. Yes, that trust is essential. Otherwise, we're just going to have people burning themselves out, trying to do everything and not trusting others to help. And and on that note, how are you how are you managing if you're feeling overwhelmed about life or work? How are you looking after your mental well-being and preventing compassion fatigue? And I guess the compassion fatigue component we can look back to when you were in practice as well. Well, I, I just uh, <laughs> I personally have not um, had a problem with compassion fatigue uh, myself, although I, I can identify it in other people. One of the great things about um, my wonderful business partner, Sally Boyle, is that we make all our decisions together. And so that means that I personally don't carry the heavy burden um, mm. of, of those big decisions. And it means that the pace of decision making is regulated, so mm-hmm. I'm I don't get into that stress situation um, with with uh, time frames. Mm. So um, when we're formatting the time frame for a project or a contract with with a practice or a, a business entity, we'll always allow plenty of time. And this, of course, is from experience. We know um, that things always take longer than you anticipate, and so mm. we will always allow plenty of time and some because um, for me um, my mental well-being means that I have to have enough time to do the things to look after myself and Mm. and be kind to myself and as we've already discussed that includes being able to work out walk the dogs um, spend time with my family and my gorgeous grandchildren Um, and in order for that to keep my um, mental health intact it's an absolute requirement that I can do those things in order to do these things and I think Sally and I come to our work in a a controlled uh, calm regulated way because we have identified the need to look after ourselves in that respect as well now I know that's a luxury and I I know that a lot of vet nurses don't have that luxury Um, we can control and manage our time um, and a a lot of nurses cannot do that they are uh, pressured um, and and have to meet um, uh, deadlines within their working day Um, But I do think it goes back to time management. I think that time management and mental well-being are inextricably linked. Definitely. Uh, And I think if you can manage your time, then you will not get into that stressful situation quite so often. Now, another thing I wanted to mention on this point, um, Kat, is a thing called ESSO's Step Back 5 by 5 uh, so this was actually a situation that happened um, at Longford in Victoria um, many years ago now, but um, basically resulted in um, a, a large gas facility, or I don't even know, it might have been a, might have been petrol, who knows? Um, but unfortunately, um, the uh, systems and processes in place uh, allowed uh, somebody went in with an oxycetylene torch to fix something, and two people died as a process. Now. ESO have in place a uh, 5x5 system, which means that you step back from a stressful situation and take five minutes to pause, collect, reflect, and select. So this is an investment, um, and I guess 
the, the most common example of this might be if a, a, a hit by car dog comes in and you're presented with this. Four people in the building, um, who's going to do what? Now, automatically we go, well, uh, the vet's going to get in there and um, do the vitals, you know, because that's what will happen. Unless we stop and steal a precious minute from that situation and say, right, who's going to do what? Okay. Mm. Nurse one is going to take the details from the owner. Um, the receptionist is going to phone the next client or tell the people in the waiting room that there's going to be a de delay. The second nurse is going to do the vitals. The third, uh, the veterinarian is going to whatever. So mm. we just take a minute to as assess the situation and then we go, we go hard. We go and do the things that we know how to do. But in order, it, it, by doing that, we are diverting that stressful situation. We're diverting that feeling of being overwhelmed um, and we're in control of what's happening. And I think these uh, uh, mental well-being uh, or ill health often comes about from um, being feel that sense of feeling overwhelmed by the situation. Whereas if we can uh, manage that situation so that we don't feel overwhelmed, we feel in control of it or, or we feel that someone else is in control of it within our team, then um, it does divert that that sense of, uh, of stress. Yeah, I love that because it's counterintuitive to not get in yep. straight away and start, yep. but it actually, you know, you are, you are stealing a bit of time to essentially come in and actually be more well thought out. We've remembered everything that needs to happen. We don't have the stress of net. There are now three consults banked up behind us because we didn't have the foresight to ring people and say, sorry, can yep. we push you back a bit? So I do, I do love that idea. Yeah. And so that's sort of heralded in a situation. It doesn't have to be a dramatic situation. It doesn't have to be, you know, a, a triage situation. It can be anything, you know. Um, so COVID-19, let's stop a minute. Let's pause. Let's collect together information about it. Let's think about how it's going to impact our practice. And then let's select a, a course of action, what we're going to do about it. So it can be anything. And um, you can probably... Uh, search for that too and a link might mm. be useful Kat uh, so it's SO in. step mm -hmm. back five by five so five numeral cross five numeral and I will definitely put a link to that too and I, I, I find just having that distance uh, you know having time actually yes. will change my mind about a lot of things and I and I think that 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 goes towards when I suggest to vets, uh, to veterinary nurses, how you might make a, a suggestion to a vet. Sometimes doing it face to face isn't great because there's no time for the vet to step back and think yes. about it. Yes. And so when we do our staff self appraisals every six months, we always uh, get the the nurse or the vet to fill out um, the template and then give it to us. And then a few days later, we do the appraisal so that we're not on the spot. Yes. Um, because quite often, I'll read the feedback and it might ask you know it might make a suggestion that to me as soon as I read it I think oh gosh that's yes. going to cost so much money yes. that's going to take so much of my time oh can't they just be happy with what we're doing and then as time goes by and it simmers on the back burner of my brain that I often mention I start thinking oh but that could be great and yeah it will take a bit of time and effort but look look at all these benefits and often by the time we get to the appraisal we're saying to them this is great let's do it how, how do we make this happen Yes, and, and, and this that's absolutely a great example. And this step back five by five um, is all about that. Don't leap in. Don't jump in. Just stop and pause uh, and analyse the situation. Um, yeah. 
Love that. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Now, we're nearly finished, Jane, but I'm keen to hear what do you think is the main area of our industry that needs attention or improvement? Oh, I'm going to go back to vet nurse registration, Kat. Do <laughs> I it. can't let that one go. Remember the Jack Russell ter- Terrier yeah, analogy. Um, so, you know, we've, we tried, we tried twice. Um, and at that time, on those occasions, we had some wonderful advocate vets helping us with our submissions. Just amazing veterinarians who stepped outside their comfort zone and wanted to... Uh, wanted very much to support us with our mission for registration and it's, it's unfortunate that time's gone on and people move on and um, and I'm not aware but I'm sure that the VNCA executive have done great networking and they've aligned themselves to the bodies that need to be aligned to and they're talking to the people that they need to talk to in order to get this uh, registration scheme um, up and running. So at the moment, non-mandatory, the Avnat registration scheme, I would recommend vet nurses absolutely Absolutely, get on board with this because it is a stepping stone to that big picture of registration uh, where we can hold our heads up in the community and be extremely proud of everything that we've achieved so far um, as an association but also as individuals. I second that and I have just renewed my registration with Avnat and if you, I will also put a link to Avnat and it is um, so important not only for the people who got on board initially um, to continue to renew but to people who are, who are standing back, you know, still thinking, oh, will I, um, you know, jump in and do it. It is so important for all of us. Most definitely and thank you very much for putting that link through, Kat. That's great. My pleasure. Now, it's been really nice catching up with you. And as I said to you, your name has been put forward to me over the last couple of years by so many people. And I was hoping to interview you face to face in Melbourne because I go there about once a year. Um, but after COVID-19, I thought, let's just do it online because who knows when we can you know, be face to face again. So it has been a pleasure. And I am really glad um, that we were able to finally catch up. And if you could reach out and thank a mentor who's helped you in your career and personal development in this industry who would it be and what would you say just the most awful question ever (laughs) (laughs) Um, there are there are many Um, I I would say without a moment's hesitation I could just rattle off 15 people that have been very influential um, in my life Mm -hmm. and it's a bit like you know when you stand up at a conference and and thank all the people and you find out that you're also thanking the caterers and uh, and so to all those people that have um, have touched my life um, to date. Thank you so much for, uh, for for helping me get to the, this place where I've got, where I'm very happy and comfortable in my life. Um, but I think looking back with regards to my career, um, I think uh, Heather Briggs, uh, Dr. Heather Briggs um, from Berkshire College of Agriculture in England all those years ago, um, Kat We had a test, this was a residential college for vet nurses. We had a test every Saturday morning and we had to put our full uniform on to to sit that test on Saturday mornings. So this is a dress, this is white cuffs on our sleeves, this is a Petersham belt, this is a white apron. And we would have to put (laughs) put that uniform on and go and sit our test. And that uniform had so much riding on it that it was such a proud moment when you put your <laughs> uniform on, I can't tell you. And to go from being a student vet nurse to a registered vet nurse was just such a wonderful thing. And Heather Briggs helped me to um, see that this 
profession, this uh, career, this vocation was one to, of, of which to be very proud and uh, to, to uh, be honourable and to be respected in the community. And I haven't wavered from that in all these years. I believe that her um, input into that part of my life really set my thinking for the, the coming years. Um, and again, so yeah, <laughs> and all those other wonderful people. They know who they are. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. As somebody who just initially did the cert for so that they could manage people and not be, as you say, the vet's wife, um, to somebody who very quickly became a very proud um, veterinary nurse, I, I think that, that that's a lovely point to end on is that, um, you know, we, we can be career nurses and we should be really proud of, of what we're doing and of our vocation. Um, and I think that that's um, absolutely lovely. And I will put a link in the show notes as well to Sane Vet Management so people can see um, what you and Sally are up to. And I'm always talking to on the show about, um, you know, where people want to lead to with their career development. So I think for people even to see um, you know, what, what you and Sally have made, that could be really inspiring as well for people thinking, you know, I can only, um, you know, wrangle 50 kilo mastiffs for so long. What else might I want to do next? Absolutely. And um, our um, contact details are on our website. And both Sally and I are, are frequently called by people in the veterinary profession and, and veterinary nurses to ask uh, for advice and career direction and other matters pertaining to their career and, and their practice. So please, I just plead with you, do not be shy to call us anytime, day or night, about anything uh, connected with your career. We'd be very, very happy to take your call and have a chat with you always. That is really generous of you, Jane, and thank you. I will put your contact details in the show notes. And thank you so much for joining me on Radio Vet Nurse today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much, Kat. Great initiative. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast. To help us make more free episodes, subscribe and leave a review. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Radio Vet Nurse or drop in at radiovetnurse.com.